We read a lot of scripture and a lot of stuff about elders and deacons and stuff like that. It is going to apply to you. That's number one. Number two, don't worry. I'm not preaching on all of those passages. I think it was important, though, for you to hear that word because that's God speaking. You know, you read the Bible out loud, it's God speaking. And when you, you hear the word like that, it, it changes, changes lives. And I wanted you to, to hear that. I just want to make a few observations about those texts, but let's pray before we begin. Lord, we do thank you for your people. We thank you for your people. Uh, we thank you for Redeemer. Sometimes, um, well, often, often words fail when we try to describe or talk about grace and mercy and love. And all of those things certainly apply to Redeemer. And they apply to Redeemer because they apply to you and what you have done through the years at Redeemer. Lord, bless this place. Bless these people. Give them many, many years on into the future. Bless uh, Elbert Bless the current elders and deacons and uh, the new elders and deacons. And Lord, we pray that as we reflect for a few minutes on your word, that you would come. Lord, I pray, first of all, that you'd forgive my sins. I'm a sinner. I confess those sins to you. I pray that you would use uh, me, and I pray that you'd use uh, many others here tonight to minister to one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I do bring greetings from uh, Highlands. It's always, uh, it's always a blessing to get invited back. Maybe the other guy turned you down or something, but um, it's always a blessing to uh, get invited back. I, I did know of a, of a man who actually kept track of things that people would say to him after he preached, after sermons. And I, I need to start doing the same. I've got some, uh, some great ones. He, he, and this is true, this is true. He had a, a lady come up to him after a sermon one Sunday morning. And she said, Pastor, Pastor, every sermon you preach is better than the next. <laughs> I don't know that that's a compliment. Another lady came up, I don't know why these are all ladies, another lady came up and said, Pastor, Pastor, your sermons are like throwing water to a drowning man. <clears throat> They're not that funny, you have to think about them for just a, a minute. One more, I, I'll only subject you to one more, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, pastor, Pastor, your sermons, this is true, Pastor, Pastor, your sermons meant so much to my husband after he lost his mind. <laughs> now, hopefully, that won't your, be your experience with me tonight. Because I'm about to say something sad. I, I've been, uh, got, you know, I, I have hair, but it's getting grayer by the month, I think. And I've been in ministry for... My wife and I have been in ministry for 35 years. We have two kids and six grandsons. We've been in parachurch ministries in two or three different denominations, two or three different states. Um, 
lived in Chicago, have relatives in New England. We've kind of been around. And one of the saddest things to me about traveling is seeing, particularly in, well, certainly here in some sense, but particularly other parts of the country, and if you go to places like Europe, is, is to see a large, beautiful, well-kept, empty church building. You've seen that. You go to, go to a place like New England. That's where my family's from. There is a church building on every corner. But many of those church buildings are gift shops. They're restaurants. They're bars. There's no worship going on anymore inside those buildings. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But one of the primary reasons? Leadership. And here comes the, the challenge I'm about to offer you guys who are officers. And the challenge is coming to everybody tonight. But leadership. Faithful elders. Faithful pastors. Faithful deacons. Preaching living, applying the gospel. Year after year. Have you ever heard anybody say this? You know, I love Jesus, but I don't really love the church. Well, Jesus says in Ephesians 5.25 that he loved the church and gave himself for her. That he loved the church and gave his life for her. Not that he loved a, a building, but a people, the body of Christ. And we know that we are called now to fix our eyes and our hopes and our longings and our desires and our futures on Jesus. The world around us, I don't have to tell you, the world around us is upside down and inside out. The world around us is confused about the most basic things. How do I know God? Why should I want to know God? Is there a God at all? What's a man? What's a woman? What's a marriage? What's a family? What's a friendship? What's the meaning of something like work? Well, a long, long time ago, a couple of hundred years ago, a man named Jonathan Edwards at a service very like this said, the greatest gift that God gives to his church, the greatest gift that God gives to his church other than himself is faithful leaders. The greatest gift that God gives to his people, his church, other than himself, is faithful leaders, elders, deacons, pastors. Say just a few things about what God wants in elders. A few things about what God wants from deacons. 
and a few things about what God wants from all of us. What does God want in elders? What's an elder supposed to do? Maybe you've heard about this, and if you've gone through officer training, heard sermons. These are two fundamentally and distinct spiritual callings and officers, offices. They're two offices, different gifts, different calling, both spiritual. And there's a lot we can say about elders. I'm going to say one simple thing. This is the heart of it. This is the heart of it. Here's what you're looking for in elders. When you elect them, when you train them, if you have a sense of calling to be an elder, here's what the, the very heart of it is. Elders, and we'll make it simple to remember, <laughs> elders desire to disciple. Elders desire to disciple. What does that mean? Elders live to fulfill the Great Commission. They think about it all the time. They pray about it all the time. They put their work, their efforts, their prayers into fulfilling this. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. They want to make disciples. They want to see people come to Christ. They want to see people grow in conformity to Jesus Christ. And that's where they put their prayers and their efforts. They desire to disciple. They desire to make disciples. They live for that. They live for that. And they do these things, they do this thing, and in private ways, and they do it in public ways. In public ways, they come to worship. They set a good example, as we saw in the reading. They come to Sunday school. They help serve the Lord's Supper. They conduct things like anointing services, healing services. We heard from Julie. She already gave the testimony of what I'm talking about. Isn't it amazing the way God works like that? There's a testimony to what officers do. And they teach. We saw in the passage, they teach. They teach people about Christ and how to grow in Christ. But they also do this ministry, this discipling in private ways, behind the scenes kinds of ways. They walk into the wreckage of people's lives. They walk faithfully into the wreckage of people's lives. And we've all got wreckage. And they pray and they cry and they lay hands on. And they confront. And they discipline. And they love. And they show mercy. And I know... Um, faithful churches, this is a faithful church, we do it at Highlands, all kinds of that going on behind the scenes in private ways. We saw in the passage that these men are called to be men of character, integrity, and example. Just as a, a little bit of an aside, there's nothing, there's nothing, men, 
then you can cultivate through time over the years that is better than character, <laughs> integrity, holiness. If you want to minister and disciple your people, the emphasis in Paul in 1 Timothy 3 is on character, an example. This is a noble task. Listen to the terminology that he uses about these men. Noble task, above reproach, good husbands and fathers, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Don't drink too much. Let's get practical. This is what Paul says. They don't drink too much. They're not violent or quick-tempered. They're gentle. They're not obsessed with money. They're not recent converts. They're not proud. And they have a good reputation. When Peter, in chapter 5, and we read a little bit of it, when Peter writes to these small groups of persecuted Christians in Asia Minor, he's the only New Testament author that refers to Christians. Get this, the only New Testament author, author that refers to Christians as foreigners in their own land, strangers in a strange land. You ever, you ever feel like that? And when he's beginning to establish, by God's grace, churches in Asia Minor, he says this to elders. 1 Timothy 5, 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Shepherd the flock that is among you, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples. Being examples to the flock. Your character, your example. One commentator says this, when Paul defines being an overseer as a noble task, he is not encouraging people to seek status, but to seek responsibility. And he emphasizes teaching, able to teach. Now, all kinds of people teach in the church, but the elders, the session, oversees that. They watch over it. They make sure the gospel is going forth. The gospel is being taught. They provide oversight to it. Peter, again, says this, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled about the world. But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason that you have, the hope that is in you, and doing it with gentleness and respect. Elders want to help you worship. They want to help you be a student of Christ. They want you to learn and grow in Christ and in grace. We could say much more, but elders have a passion for the Great Commission, a passion for discipleship. They desire to disciple. What about deacons? That's elders, deacons. How do we get to the heart of what a deacon is supposed to do. Well, here's one way to think about it. Deacons seek, we'll make it simple. Deacons seek to serve. 
They seek to serve. Deacons are passionate about serving you, serving the church, serving Christ. They seek to serve. And they do this in public ways, in private ways. We've heard a little bit about this already. The, the building, the grounds, your yard, your house. If there are physical needs, benevolence needs, mercy needs. You know, this, this word deacon is actually an ancient word. It goes way, way back. It comes from the word diakonos, and it means in the service and presence. It's wonderful. It means in the personal present service of a king. And the picture is literally of somebody following a king around. <laughs> can I walk out? I, I'm so glad for this. this is so much better than when I used to be here. I can walk all around. <laughs> I get kidded at my, I walk a lot. Um, the picture is of somebody being in the presence of a king and following him around asking, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? It's a wonderful picture. That's what Jesus, that's how Jesus relates to deacons. What can I do? How can I help? How can I serve? That's the heart of it. That's the heart of it. Standing in the royal presence of a king and looking for ways to serve. Of course, the ultimate example in the Bible Wonderful example, Acts 6 through 8, is Stephen, one of the most astounding men in the entire Bible. A man of great wisdom and integrity, he knows the scriptures, and he's picked to help wait tables. The church is growing. The apostles are teaching. The gospel is going forth, and more and more people are coming, so more and more needs are coming. So the office of deacon is born. The office of deacon is born. And Stephen, one of the first deacons, gets killed, murdered, stoned for his efforts, <laughs> for his service, for his faithfulness to Christ. And he's a man of great integrity. But we all know the influence that Peter had on Saul, who would one day become Paul, who watched Peter die and cheered those who were killing him on. Our book of church order, not always the most scintillating document, but it is helpful, says this. It is the duty of the deacons, it's very well said. Hear, hear this. It is the duty of the deacons to minister to those who are in need, to the sick, to the friendless, and those who are in distress. Those who are in need, the sick, the friendless, and to any who may be in distress. You know where uh, Stephen is last mentioned in the Bible? He is last mentioned by the Apostle Paul, who's now Paul, used to be Saul, and, and affirmed and cheered on those who were stoning Stephen. And Paul is highlighting some major events in his life. He's giving his testimony. He's talking about what influenced him, his testimony, 
how he came to Christ. In Acts 22, and he says, when, And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Don't tell me that the life of that servant didn't impact the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul believes in deacons. A deacon changed his life by his example. Finally, what does God want from all of us? That's elders, that's deacons. What about all of us? 1 Timothy chapter 3 is a wonderful passage of Scripture, but there's sometimes something we miss as we read down the list of all these qualifications of officers. At the very end, Paul and most commentators uh, think this, believe this, say it. Paul breaks out in a hymn. And most of them say it's a coronation hymn. He talks about officers and all these qualifications, and, and then in essence, Paul says, let's sing. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. This is this hymn. This is this coronation hymn. Verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. He's our king. Let's worship him. In fact, there's only one perfect elder. There's only one perfect deacon. He's our king. Let's sing. Let's worship him. There's no person, there's no place that is ever out of the reach of Jesus. No place, no person. No circumstance, no marriage, no addiction, no child that is ever out of the reach of Jesus. And how does he work? What does he do? He does it through you. We've had a testimony to that already. He does it through elders. He does it through deacons. He does it through you. Let me close with an example of a, of, from a, a book I read about a year ago, and it was one of the most convicting books I've ever read, and it's kind of off the radar screen for a lot of Christians. It's a book called Mission at Nuremberg, and it's the story of a, a young man who felt called to the ministry. He was a Lutheran, lived in the Midwest, felt called to the ministry at age 14, and he, he had a particular call to ministering to those who, who were poor, those in poverty, those in prison, those who were down, down and out. And he eventually became a, a chaplain during World War II, and he went overseas and served in, in Europe, and he ministered to men who were in great suffering. He ministered to prisoners. German prisoners, he was a Lutheran. 
so he could relate to, to Germans. He ministered to, ministered to those who were suffering and dying as a result of their wounds. And the war was over. He got ready to go home, and he got a phone call one day. And the phone call was from his commanding officer. And his commanding officer said, Pastor Garricky? Yes? What are you doing? Well, I'm about to go home. I haven't seen my wife in years. I've been a chaplain here in Europe. I'm about to go home. He says, we need your help. Do you speak German? Yes. <laughs> we need you to be the chaplain to the greatest criminals of the 20th century. You know, there are these trials that are going on in Nuremberg of former Nazi prisoners, high-ranking Nazi prisoners, and according to the G Geneva Convention, we need to provide them with a chaplain. You know, it's not that big of you. don't really have to do much, but just we have to do this, and we need you to do this. Let me think about it. <laughs> Let me give it some, some prayer. And he said he, he went home and his wife said, please don't do that. And he prayed about it and he couldn't get out of his mind the thief on the cross. He couldn't get that image out of his mind, the thief on the cross. And so he called back and said, I'll do it. I'll go. And so he went back over to Germany into Nuremberg and ministered to these high-ranking Nazi prisoners. And he received, as you might imagine, all kinds of advice and all kinds of mail, some of it from Christians. And some of the mail he received from Christians said something like this, those people don't deserve the gospel. Those people don't deserve the gospel. Does anybody deserve the gospel? He went anyway, and he ministered to them for a while, for about half a year, and was anxious to get home. His wife wanted him to come home. And these high-ranking German prisoners write this letter to his wife. Dear Mrs. Garricky, your husband, Pastor Garricky, has been taking religious care of the undersigned, and all these high-ranking Nazis sign it, during the Nuremberg trial. He has been doing so for more than half a year. We have now heard, Mrs. Garricky, that you wish to see him back home. We understand this. Nevertheless, we are seeking and asking you to put off your wish to gather your family around you. Our dear chaplain Garricky is necessary for us, not only as a pastor, but as the thoroughly good man that he is. We have simply come to love him. We have simply come to love him. And he goes on to give he stays, he goes on to give testimony to many who rejected, but there was one who came to Christ. There was what the, the supreme commander of the German army <laughs> came to Christ. 
and his name was Wilhelm Keitel, and he says he abandoned his arrogance for faith in Christ. And here's the account. On his knees and under deep emotional stress, Keitel received Jesus as his savior and said with tears in his eyes to Garricky, as he received Christ as his savior, you have helped me more than you'll ever know. May Christ my savior stand behind me all the way. I need him so much. And at that point, he pronounced uh, Martin Luther's favorite benediction over him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. There's no place. There's no person. No place. No person. That's out of the reach of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those of you who know him, know that. Those of you who know him, know that. He will use your officers, your elders. He will use your deacons. He will use you, and you will go places you never thought you'd go. No one, no place is out of the reach of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, for it is your word that changes lives. It's the power of God unto salvation. It doesn't re return empty or void. It changes lives. When we read it, when we hear it, and Lord, we thank you for the testimonies that we can give to your grace in our lives. And even as we we hear of an account like this and we can find so many others of your grace, your mercy. You're saying my life for yours, not your life for mine, my life for yours. Lord, I pray that you would richly bless the officers tonight, elders, deacons. I pray that you would richly bless these people, this congregation, this church. Lord, we're all a bunch of sinners, saved by grace, who love Jesus. And in our stumbling, bumbling ways, want to serve him. We know that you use us. Lord, I pray that you would protect this church, bless this church, grow this church. We thank you for Elbert. And we do pray all these things. We lift up all of these things. Knowing, recognizing, hoping, praying that this church building, whether it ends up here or somewhere else, who knows, but this church building would never be empty. Would always be full of people who love you and love each other. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.